What's this? What's this? This is Rewind. Let's watch that again with Rochelle and Zach. Our episode today is on the nightmare before Christmas, just in time for Halloween this coming Monday. So stick around and find out what inspired the plot for Tim Burton while writing for the movie. The movie starts where we find this eerie little town of monsters happily singing that the day is Halloween and that Jack Skellington is the Pumpkin King. What everyone doesn't know is that Jack is becoming bored with the same routine of scaring people in the quote unquote real world. Sally, who is an animated ragdoll, yearns for him and tries to follow him as he is pondering on what he should do. Jack then stumbles upon a group of trees with doors in the shape of the holiday that they lead to and decides to go into Christmas Town, where he finds it full of bright colors and a warm presence that gives him a new look on life and an idea. He wants to take over Christmas by kidnapping Santa Claus and replacing him. He goes back to Halloween Town to convince the townspeople of his new plan. Unfortunately, they do not seem impressed with the idea until he makes Sandy Claws and the parts of Christmas sound scary. Jack assigns jobs to everyone, including three trick-or-treaters, to get Sandy. Jack and the townspeople work on their version of Christmas and prepare for Christmas Eve. Meanwhile, Sally tries to tell him this is all a terrible idea while she is making him a Sandy Claws suit. But Jack is too absorbed with his plans to listen. The three trick-or-treaters return happily with the Easter bunny. But that's not who Jack wants. So he sends them back and they finally bring him Sandy Claus. To Jack's surprise, Sandy has hands, not claws. Jack tells the trick-or-treaters to take Sandy Claus away and make him comfortable. But they give him to the Oogie Boogie instead. Sally has produced a red suit and tries to sabotage Jack's Christmas Eve delivery by adding fog juice into the town well. It almost works, but Jack's ghost dog Zero has a glowing nose and comes to the rescue, just like Rudolph does. Sally realizes that only Sandy Claus will be able to help now and seeks into Oogie Boogie's place to try and free him. Jack sets off in his sleigh, still really not getting Christmas with the scary gifts he has. He spreads terror and problems at every house he visits. After getting blown up out of the sky, he realizes both his mistake and goes back to Halloween Town to find Sandy Claus and set Christmas right. He frees Sally and Sandy Claus from Oogie Boogie. Santa leaves to save Christmas. Jack and Sally return to town just as Santa Claus flies over and offers the Halloween Town people a bit of Christmas magic, their first snowfall. All right. So my question being, yes, is this a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? You know, you would think because of all the creepy Halloween character people, you want to say it's Halloween, but the title then, of course, makes you think, oh, it's Christmas. I'm going to lean more on Halloween over Christmas. I think it's the Grinch stole Christmas made over. Like, it's just a Christmas movie. You would consider the Grinch a Christmas movie, but it has its, you know, 
playful cartoonish side and i think that's why but this is so dark and we just associate it with halloween right i mean i mean, I, I get where you're coming from on that i mean it's to however you want to take it just like some people no actually no it's not similar to this it is not similar to those little christmas scenes in harry potter that does not make those christmas movies those are more halloween i'm thinking right now in my brain this dark gothic family with their hair gelled and their mascara on sitting around christmas eve watching this as their (laughs) 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 anytime you see the cover of this movie or it's announced to be on tv what does it say it says tim burton's the nightmare before christmas that would make one think that he directed it It definitely did for me, and it's actually a common misconception. At the time, Tim was busy with Batman Returns, so he handed off the responsibility of this movie to his old Disney animation colleague, Henry Selleck. The Night Before Christmas was actually his directorial debut. Burton's name is above the title for serving as producer, creator of the story, and coming up with the looks and designs of the characters. It probably didn't hurt either that his name is much bigger than Selleck's, so that kind of like helps say, hey, we might sell a little bit more. Oh, uh, definitely. Because he came out with beforehand with Beetlejuice, and Catherine O'Hara was in this and is the voice of Sally. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee-wee, is the voice of Locke, which is one of those trick-or-treaters that you talked about. In Batman Returns, Danny Effman did the music for both movies and the singing voice of Jack. Now, do you know which one Batman Returns is? Or do you remember? Yeah, that... Um, Think of the darkest, weird or one that would just scream Tim Burton. That penguin. Yep, exactly. That's the <laughs> one. So, um, I th- I just liked those little connections there when I was reading about all this stuff that you just mentioned, how Catherine O'Hara is the mom in Beetlejuice, and then she's the voice of Sally. And actually, she's actually one of the trick-or-treaters, too, if I'm not mistaken. I I think that whenever you have directors and actors that are friends, I think it's much easier for some of these people who they played roles with in other movies to do, especially animated movies, because I cannot imagine it taking as much time to be an actor for an animated film, like the voice actor. I can't imagine it being as much time for a voice actor for an animated film as compared to actually acting. So I could see people being more like, yeah, sure, I'll I'll step in and be the voice of so-and-so in your right. next movie. Well, I mean, Tim Burton, he seems to have reoccurring actors like, I mean, Johnny Depp. He's in a lot of Tim Burton movies. Helen Carter Bowenkamp, which I think he had was married to she's in almost all of his movies as well so tim burton really likes to keep the actors and actresses that he's worked with because they just fit into that dark interesting vibe movie-esque-ness whatever wow that was (laughs) whatever you want to call that yeah i'm sorry about that After Nightmare Before Christmas, Henry Selleck went on to direct a couple other stop-motion movies, James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. In 1996, when the stop-motion live-action adaption of Roald Dahl's James and the Giant Peach, we saw a resurrection of the bare-bones main character, Jack. He appears in one scary scene as a skeletal pirate captain. Jack is much harder to spot in Selleck's 2009 translation of Neil Gaiman's Coraline, but if you look 
ever so closely as the other mother is making breakfast for Coraline, you will see Jack's smiling skull hidden in the yolk of a cracked egg. It kind of reminds you of those hidden Mickeys that Disney likes to do. And speaking of those, since the movie became a success, Disney has become less shy about their association with it. But in the movie's commentary, it is revealed that despite their reluctance, because they really did not want to associate with the darkness of it, Disney allowed Burton and Selleck to include a hidden Mickey in the form of a scary toy. The scene that has this is where the gifts from Jack are attacking kids. There's a flying stuffed animal with a sharp toothed smile that's meant to be the Burton version of Mickey Mouse. And also, that girl that the toy is attacking, she is wearing a Mickey print nightgown while her brother's PJs are covered in Donald Duck faces. I, I had to really get up close, like out of my seat, up close to the TV while it was paused to get a good look of this because it, I had no idea. And then sure enough, there they are. Yeah. Um, so you were talking because the name Roald Dahl popped in my head. Right. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Which and... Tim Burton went on to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Because uh, he just had, I think he had a thing for Roald Dahl, which I did look into because I kind of had the idea whenever watching James and the Giant Peach when I was younger, thinking this is kind of weird too. Like it has that Tim Burton feel to it. But Tim Burton, from what I could see or found, had nothing to do with that movie. It was all Henry Selleck. But you can see that similarity between those along with Coraline. You can just see... You know, you know what I mean? Like you can, like how you can look at a Tim Burton movie or at the movie that Tim Burton has done. Like, yep, that's definitely one of his. You could tell Henry Selleck had his hand in all of these. Well, with Rod, Rod, Rod Dahl as well. You know what? So he's a novelist. He wrote right. a lot of books, right? Kids' um, books from from England. Mm-hmm. But in the forties, he actually had a different job. Do you know what it was? Oh. I feel like I heard this at one yeah, time, but what was it? I feel like it? I've told you this. I feel like you have too, or I, my dad might have, who knows, or I've, I'm not sure. What it was so, it? So, do you know where he's from, Rald Dahl? You just said England. Oh, okay, okay, I, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know if I said that. <clears throat> so, he, so, Rald Dahl was, uh, he used to work for MI6. And what is that? MI6 is the English version of the CIA. Roald Dahl was a spy during World War II. Yeah. And so I can't 100% confirm this. but That's cool. But because I heard this a couple places, but I didn't do research before just saying it on public air. Mm -hmm. But he was a very handsome guy. Yeah. Back back in the 40s. Let Mm -hmm. me say that. He was a very handsome guy. And his infiltration was to basically... Um, become intimate with some of the opposing generals' wives to cause disruption in the livelihood. Oh. Yeah, and now I can't. I know, that's interesting. I know I've heard that somewhere, but yeah, he was a spy for MI6, which is the CIA for uh, England. So, like James Bond, he is also he was a spy with Ian Fleming, who was the writer of James, James Bond. Bond. Oh, what a Fun connection that is there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Speaking of Disney, they fought for Jack to have eyeballs 
<laughs> Why did you say it like eyeballs? Um, I grew. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, because of the dark and deeply weird nature of Tim Burton's story, Disney Studios decided it was too off-brand to be released under their banner. So the film was made by their branch, Touchstone Pictures. But of course, this didn't keep them from dropping some serious studio notes, including insisting that Jack Skellington's empty eye sockets be filled with a pair of friendly eyes. A common guideline in animation and puppet creation is that it's important to have things like the eyes that would connect an audience to the character. But Selleck and Burton wouldn't budge and ultimately proved their anti-hero didn't need eyes to connect. Now, when it comes to Jack's signature suit, Selleck is responsible for that. In Tim Burton's original sketches, he had Jack in all black. In the DVD commentary, it was revealed that Henry Selleck gave Jack's suit a makeover that added white stripes to his slim fit suit. That really helped Jack pop, and in the early camera test, it became a major concern whenever Jack was in his all black suit and blended in into the dark backdrops of Halloween Town. Can you, like, just picture him with those Disney eyes? Mickey eyes. <laughs> he would, it would just be so weird. You know, oh, I just. I'm glad they stuck to their guns and said, nope, nope, I'm not going to do it. So, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> On the DVD commentary, Burton shared that his childhood in California was not marked by the seasonal changes us Midwesterners experience. So, holiday decorations were an especially important factor in the year's progression. When it came to fall and winter, there was a mixture of Halloween and Christmas in stores, eager to make the most of both shopping seasons. This, he claimed, planted the seed for his tale of the king of Halloween intruding on Christmas. It feels like they're talking about Walmart yes. and Hobby Lobby. <laughs> it seems like that he's sitting in our Walmart right now because I, I, know, know. I know we're close to Halloween. But when was it the first Christmas ornaments came out? Like the first... End row of Christmas ornaments well, was in September. It was like I mean, September 20th or something like that. Walmart's not as bad as Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby had Christmas stuff out in July. Christmas, Christmas in July. July. Jinx. <laughs> but <laughs> now that stuff's on 50, like 50% 50 off, apparently, I had seen somewhere. But yeah. Why would you put a 50% off right now? Yeah. It's about Christmas time. I know. Man, Good talk to these guys I know. It drives me nuts. But yeah. Um, they, I mean, and I get that too, you know, for places that don't have fall, like experience fall like we do and stuff like that. I mean, I can understand it, but they've just really gone overboard with it now, at least especially here where we know the holiday changes. Oh, yeah. I, I do wish though where we live, I wish we would get snow more often during Christmas time. Something else that inspired Tim Burton was the claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He had originally had wanted this to be a TV short, just like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation, but ended up deciding, no, let's do a movie instead. So, and you know, I've always, I think Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer really, and then also, you know, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Jack Frost from back then, really set the bar for stop motion animation. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Um, I'm just, I'm still thinking here about these people who they really don't have a change for Christmas and stuff. I and feel for them. I do, but it kind of, there's one 
thing that that it makes me think of. What's that? And that thing is, uh, they still play it. I, okay, I love nostalgia. I think 1990s, us 90s kids, mm-hmm. we are nostalgic people. We love like things that remind us of growing up. And there's some things like this that I'm about to tell you. This commercial has been around since we were kids. Ooh, I think I know. I don't think you do. It's been around since we were kids and it's still, it's never changed. They use the exact same one and they still play. It'll be on this Christmas time. Now, do you want to try? But I don't think you're going to try. Hershey Kisses. No. Oh, the bell one? Yeah. I like that one. They've used that one forever. And the Campbell's one where the little kid, it's the snowman coming in, sits down and melts. Yeah, it's about that age. Okay, what is it? That is a good one. That is a good one. But I was, I was... Actually, that would make sense, though, because, you know, snowman, blah, blah, blah. Soup. But yeah. what I was thinking of is because people who don't have a holiday weather, like winter weather, to remind them of the Christmas season, I think of the Corona commercial, the Corona beer commercial, whenever there's palm trees and it's dark, and then you see one palm tree light up with Christmas lights. I don't remember this commercial. Oh, well, it'll be on this Christmas, but... I've never seen it before. Seriously? Seriously. Oh, man, it's awesome. Like, it just, it's dark. You know, they they do like a pan out of the uh, or zoom out of the, um, like I don't know, this has been the, around a long time. Oh, yeah, since how the 90s. come I've never seen this? I have no idea. But you hear the waves, and then it kind of blinks and sputters, and then it turns on one of the palm trees turns on brightly lit. But I will say that Hershey Kiss one has been around forever, and that, that yeah, that's the one I instantly thought of for sure. A poem by Tim Burton predated the movie. While he worked as an animator at Disney on productions like The Fox and the Hound... Had and no idea he did that, by the way. I didn't either, but... I'm your best friend too, Todd. <laughs> I'm your, you're my friend you're too, my, Todd. You're my friend too, Todd. You'll be friends forever, right? Always. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was like... Such speaking a of that, tearjerker. The oh very my gosh. beginning with the shotgun. <sighs> Disney <sighs> knows how to like beat you down in the beginning and then they'll build you back up. I, up. I, I'm pretty sure we've like talked about uh. this before. <laughs> they will beat you down hard in the beginning. They're going to make you feel it. Right. But, um, and the black cauldron was the same way. Uh, he began toying with cartoon projects on his own this way. This eventually led him to animated shorts like Vincent, as well as naming of a poem that he called nightmare before Christmas. It was a sort of parody of Clement Clark Moore's The Night Before Christmas. His poem focused on Jack Skellington's unavoidable boredom of Halloween and featured Zero as well as Santa. Isn't that cool? Yeah, super cool. And I had, I really had no idea Tim Burton had that much to do with Disney. I mean, that was a shock to me in doing my research on this was that Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron, I... Like, that just blew my mind, you know. Um, granted, now, yeah, he's got the Alice in Wonderland, Alice Through the Looking Glass, and, of course, Nightmare Before Christmas, but I just had no idea at all. I honestly, I can't remember the Black Cauldron. Like, whenever you mentioned it, it made me think the one with the... Uh, he pulls the sword. Yeah, sword in the stone. That's sword what I mean. That's that's the one. Honestly, I don't think I've ever actually watched the Black Cauldron, but 
yeah, I will say that's the exact same thing I instantly thought of. That's was weird. really, yeah, that's weird. I've never seen that one. Well, I don't not, think that's not the weird part. The weird part is we avenge, uh, we image the wrong same movie. movie. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, because um, Merlin is in there and he has a cauldron. Does yeah, he that's, not? yeah, that's, that's literally probably exactly why I, I'm picturing the black cauldron is because of Merlin. Yes, yeah. I'm with you. I'm wow, that's cool. Like we used to say, get out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, we did. That was, that was when we were cute. Yeah, we're not so cute now. We're a little old. A little older. Creply. Creply? Creply? Crepid? Crepidly? Let's go with Creply. I like it. <laughs> we're making up words again. Okay. As you can imagine, shooting stop motion demands a great deal of time. Now, we kind of did this with the kids this summer with an app. And oh my gosh, what was that yeah. short little five second video after we made it fast? Yeah, How many pictures did we take? Took a bit, like a thousand something. Now, I think it was 195 no, shots I, for I, five seconds. Are you talking about our video? Yeah. No, 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 no. The with the kids, kids with the no, Legos. That one was a thousand. It wasn't five seconds. It was a thousand? It was a thousand Yeah, you're pictures. right. Ours, for about we, 10 seconds, if you, maybe. If you look up our Twitter and you posted the it The very on first one with Facebook, Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. We, we did a little... That was... That was in the summer when we just learned, hey, this is kind of fun. It's cool, so, yeah. Uh, we did a little stop motion too. It takes a lot of shots and it's very tedious, tedious work. And it takes a lot of patience if you're doing it with your wife. No, with your kids. <laughs> no, with your wife. With the kids. Okay. There was so much arguing. Anyway, so when Danny Ethman mastered most of the film's songs, Selleck plus a team of about 13 specially trained animators and an army of people makers. People makers? Did you change that on me, you No, turned? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't change it. That's why you wrote it. Stupid autocorrect. I'm thinking you're calling it people makers because they're like the... the people makers. The, yeah, okay. The characters. <laughs> the little character people. you changed No. I'm laughing to myself because instead of Selick, you wrote Slick. Stupid <laughs> autocorrect. Like, slick plus a team. Oh my goodness. Sorry. So an army of people makers, set builders, and camera operators worked without a final screenplay. Yep. Shooting began before they even completed the script. The animators began by crafting Jack's big moment of discovery with what's this? Shooting 24 frames per second meant that the animators had to create unique motions of 110,000 frames total. One minute of the movie took about a week to shoot, and The Nightmare Before Christmas took three years to complete. The most challenging shot was Jack opening the door. The filmmakers were dedicated to being as true to shooting the live action as possible. So when Jack discovers the part of the forest with pathways to the other holiday worlds, he looks longingly at the Christmas tree door. A close-up of its shiny golden knob reflects the sad skeleton as well as the trees behind him as he proceeds to open it. Getting that reflection just right took a great deal of time, care, and attention. I always thought that was a really cool shot, too. So they were dead set on not letting that be animation. They stuck with their stop motion. And I thought that was awesome. That would that would be frustrating, doing it every single day. Like, these oh. guys are working Monday through Friday, probably. Can you imagine the back pain? long doing it. Well, I'm sure it's on a table. 
I mean, it's smaller. <laughs> they didn't do it on the floor. Like, but bending did. over and going, what are you doing? Moving little things. It's my sound effects for them to picture me going, Something I found out from the DVD commentary that I had no idea about was that Vincent Price was almost the voice of Santa. He had previously worked with Tim Burton on Edward Scissorhands. He was the creator of Edward and Vincent, so he then agreed to give voice to the big and flustered Santa that is kidnapped by the trick-or-treaters Lock, Shock, and Barrel. Unfortunately, the plan was derailed when Price's wife, Coral Brown, passed away in 1991. In the DVD commentary, Selleck also explained that Price was so grief-stricken that as the director, he felt he sounded too sad for Santa. Edward Ivory was then brought to replace him. Vincent Price has a very, I don't know what the word I want, recognizable, distinct voice that you just, I mean, if if you still don't know who Vincent Price is, even by mentioning Edward Scissorhands, Everyone knows the song Thriller. Everyone remembers that in Thriller, there's this, in a dark shot, you know, that voice. That is Vincent Price. For those that are true horror film fans, like my brother, Vincent Price was the House on Haunted Hill, House of Wax, very, very well-known horror film person and my brother actually got to meet him if i'm not mistaken Hmm. very cool cool. i think looking at vincent price i think he looks a lot like walt disney he kind of does he's like the tim burton of walt disney they have have the same like mustache and hair hairstyle yeah yep i would agree 100 on that well this has been rewind let's watch that again Please look for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under the same name and follow us for updates on future episodes. Each new episode will drop every Wednesday, where we will go into depth on another film we consider to be a classic from the 90s and 2000s. Also, feel free to send us an email about what you thought of it or if you have any comments on the show. You can contact us via those social media outlets or email us at rewindletswatchthatagain at yahoo.com.